Let me tell you about my last 24 hours and why I actually don't want to preach this morning. <laughs> so uh, it was a rough week. Anybody have a rough week this week? Yeah? Okay, so I had a really rough week this week. And then uh, yesterday at uh, 4 p.m. When, uh, when I'm at home and I'm kind of now just kind of uh, getting myself ready for today, my computer crashed. Second time in a month. First time I thought those Mac geniuses had fixed it. <laughs> they didn't, by the way. I'm sorry. Did I offend anybody that works for Apple? Uh, I wasn't meant to be. Uh, so uh, it crashed. And I am an off-the-chart control freak who likes to have things sort of... And there's nothing that would rattle me more than knowing that maybe last 15, 17 years of my work is just... Now, did I back it up? Yes, I'm not that stupid. Okay, I have an external hard drive. I've backed it up. But I'm going, I have to preach tomorrow morning. It's a hard enough day it is because it's the Sunday right after daylight savings and everybody walks in, you're half asleep anyway. And so I'm already feeling kind of tense. So anyway, I run over to Apple uh, store, uh, can't get it fixed, buy a new computer, which I've been wanting to do, come back home, try and download everything on it, realize that I have what I need for today, but possibly have lost last 10 years of work. I still don't know yet. Um, so go to sleep at night knowing that I'm going to get one last hour of sleep, facing a, a group of people who are going to be half asleep. And, and then I come here this morning and I hear that uh, we've had a theft, which we've been worried about. Three of our computers were stolen. And... Uh, the normal uh, mic that I use on Sunday morning, which sat at my desk, was also stolen. Uh, and this is, all, this is all before some of y'all had your first coffee, okay? So, so I hear that news, <laughs> and, and uh, now I'm completely inside, just falling apart, okay? I like to, you know, kind of project the calm demeanor, but inside, I am falling apart. This is all around 9 o'clock. So, uh... Walking back and forth, pacing back and forth. And I have amazing people like Josh who, as I'm walking back to just get time by myself, he grabs me and he says, regardless of what happens today, please remember that these kinds of moments are to teach us to depend on God at all times. Remember that this this." is to remind us that we do this with his strength. Um, so your pastor is a, not at all himself this morning. Um, yeah. And uh, so I'm going to need your help, church. I need your prayers. I need your encouragement. Um, it's been one of those weeks, one of those days. Um, and I'd really, really appreciate you guys, even as we again worship, uh, remembering your prayers. Okay, all right. Is that too much information? <laughs> Do you expect your pastors to be, uh, you know, put all together and come up and preach sermons? And regardless of how his week went, I, I try. I try to fake you out, but um, today it's a little bit too much. 
not what's happened. And uh, what's that? Yeah, I know, Buki. She, she says you just have to be who you are, and I have to tell you where I am. Yeah, this is where I am in this morning. This is where I am. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, and this is why I love our church. I know that I can do that. Uh, of course, uh, part of me uh, also was kind of bracing myself for the fact that for those of you that are friends with me on Facebook, uh, you knew I was going to say a word or two, just a word or two, about what happened this week um, in our beloved city of Chicago, um, watching with my 11-year-old son uh, on television as Donald Trump's rally here in Chicago was canceled. Um, trying to explain to my 11-year-old son what, what is happening before our eyes. Give me like five minutes. I can't go more than five minutes. Give me like five minutes because I'll come back to this. Five minutes to say a word or two. Is that okay? Before we talk about emotionally healthy spirituality. <laughs> yeah. This whole thing is a sermon this morning, all right? Two, three thoughts, and then I need to talk about emotionally healthy spirituality. One, um, I'm more convinced than ever. And I'm more determined than ever to continue to work towards the core mission and vision of New Community Covenant Church and why this church is so important. Do you realize that we live in not only a city but a country that is divided among racial, socioeconomic, other lines? Do you realize that? Can we please stop talking about some post-racial country? And fool ourselves into thinking that race is no longer an issue. Please, please, please. And as I saw what was unfolding before my eyes, part of me was discouraged, but part of me, a sense of hope and more determination rose up and saying, this is why churches like New Community need to exist and furthermore continue to work towards the mission of our church to be a church that truly embodies the reconciling power of the gospel among racial, ethnic, cultural, socioeconomic lines. Our country is looking, is asking, what is the answer to that? And if we as a church, if churches in America don't rise up, don't stand up and saying the hope of the gospel is not just that we could be made right with God, but the hope of the gospel according to scripture and what Christ has done is that yes, even hated people groups with hostility for centuries can actually be reconciled and display a different way of being together. And can I just say this this morning firmly and yet, and yet gently? We, new community, are serious about this mission. We're serious about this mission. That is to say, if you are here, you need to be serious about this mission. We have a long way to go, but we are serious about being a church that says we need to display a different way of being together. That is to say, church, I don't want you to take offense, but I need to say this. There are wonderful, amazing, homogenous churches all over the city of Chicago with better preaching, with better worship, 
with much better children's ministry, with much better everything. That's closer to where you live. Why are you coming here? Why do we do this? And please understand, I want you to be here. We do this so that we can say to the watching world, there is hope in the gospel for our country, our world's issues. Amen? So please ask yourself this serious question. How deep are your relationships with people that are sitting around you? For real, for real. Are you doing life with each other? And no, it's not just about community and relationships. Because you can't just end there. And some of you are already saying, yes, but there's systemic and institutional issues. Of course there are. But do you know why we commit and focus on relationships? And you've heard me say this before. Working for justice requires that our consciences are sensitive to the problem. But here's the thing. Our consciences don't become sensitive to the problem by ideas. They become sensitive by affections. What do I mean? When you actually know the people and the issues that impact the people that you love, you'll start to care about it. There are some of us in here for whom working for justice is an idea, wonderful idea. It's a concept. But I want to ask you, who do you know that's being impacted by the systems and institutions? Do you know what it feels like? That's why we do what we do. You can't just sit here and talk about this stuff. When you begin to go, this person that I love is being impacted by this, so it matters to me. you realize as I watch the news I'm watching thousands of people who live in an ethnic, cultural, racial, socioeconomic bubble who never ever interact or come in contact with anybody outside of them and of course we live in a country where what we already believe is continually reinforced by the people who believe the same things and we never get to a point where we go I have no idea what your life is like. I have no idea what your story is. Will you share with me? Will you talk to me? And actually begin doing life, interacting with people who are different from us so that our belief system, our prejudices, our ignorance can be dislodged. That's not just out there. It's in here. Secondly, as I thought about it, I'm recognizing that you and I need to speak up. I've said this before, many of you in New Community, you have enormous power, power in terms of culture, ethnicity, race, power in terms of education, power in terms of your socioeconomic status, power. We all have tremendous amount of power. Power in and of itself is not evil. Power is to be used, as Scripture teaches us, for the flourishing of others. John 13, Jesus, who has all power, all authority, laying it aside to serve his disciples. And the question I asked in our Vision Sunday was this, what are you doing to leverage the power, enormous power that you have, not for your own benefit, what the world does, not to lord it over other people, what the world does, 
but to advance the cause of those in our culture who are marginalized, who are And part of that is speaking up and speaking against the fear-mongering and the race-baiting and blatant forms of racial injustice plaguing our city and our country. Absolutely do it nonviolently. Absolutely do it respectfully. Absolutely do it lovingly. But speak up for crying out loud. Posting something on Facebook is easy. <laughs> what about talking to your family members? What about talking to your coworkers? What about talking to people around you? Actual face-to-face conversations. Difficult conversations about their views and their assumptions. Third, real quick, solidarity. Solidarity. Let's be clear about this. What affects one group in this country affects everybody else. And that's not politics. That's biblical. Old Testament is founded upon this belief that you and I are interwoven. We are connected. Let me just say this, and I I need to get to this sermon. Can I just speak to the Asian Americans in our room? Do you realize that what's happening to our African American brothers is not just their issue, it's our issue too. It's our issue too. And one of the beautiful things that I saw and I'm seeing is a solidarity of people in this country recognizing that unless we all come together to address these issues, things just aren't going to get done. And lastly, I'm never going to use the pulpit to tell you who to vote for. That's inappropriate. I'll never do that. But I'll tell you this, don't vote for someone just because they say that they're Christian. Don't vote for someone just because they say they have Christian values. As I grow older, I think someone said this, I pay less attention to what people say. I just watch what they do. I think Jesus said something in the lines of, you will know them by their fruit. So let me say this. This is as political as I'm going to get, Okay. Vote for somebody because you know that their lives authentically say that they stand for justice. Vote for someone because they value the dignity of all human life from the womb all the way to the tomb. Vote for someone because they will want to work for the holistic flourishing of all people regardless of race, politics, religion, or creed. And by all means, vote. Let's talk about emotionally healthy spirituality. (laughs) Again, I have a lot more to say, guys, about what's going on, but your pastor's deliberate, which means I need to prepare and think. I'll just respond to issues right away, but I will. Um, I need to amend the sermon today. because I've taken up too much time, but I don't want to rush through it either because I need to preach to myself this morning. Let me put up a verse as we start. 
If you're just joining us, we've been talking about emotional healthy spirituality. And I want to just put this up there. Can we all read this together this morning? And yes, I am doing this to involve you so that you can stay awake. Here we go. John 10, 10. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Let me ask you something. Does that describe you today? As you sit here this morning with an hour less of sleep, does your life, is your life characterized by, listen, joy, peace, contentment? I'm, I'm good. Satisfied. Or are you sitting here this morning, hurried, frenetic, busy, restless, uncomfortable, lacking any sense of joy? Again, be rigorously honest. Are you here this morning living into this promise that you're saying, this is why I came? How are you doing? Well, you know where your pastor is this morning. We've been talking about emotional healthy spirituality, and here's the definition we've been working on. Emotional health, which is our ability to be self-aware and love well, and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And you've seen this picture. We've been talking about the iceberg and the 90% underneath the surface kinds of things, the things that people don't see, frankly, the things that you and I want to avoid, the things that we don't want to talk about. And this entire sermon series has been having the courage to go underneath that thing that some of us, we haven't touched or looked at in years and saying, what's under there? Why do I act the way I do? Why do I feel the way I feel? Why do I behave the way I do? Why do I think the way I think? And I've been continually saying every week, church, be courageous. Church, be authentically courageous as we continue to talk about this to go underneath the tip of the iceberg. And as we continue our journey, and I need to be careful about this, as we continue our journey, it's going to feel like for some of us a, 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 a kind of a whiplash experience because the last five weeks we've been talking about emotionally draining kinds of things. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But as we turn the corner, and we're going to come back to this sermon series, so don't worry. As we turn the corner, we're going to begin to talk now about what Scazzaro calls contemplative spirituality or various practices that we begin to implement for emotional health to occur. And the practices in the book that he talks about is getting into the rhythms of what's called daily office and Sabbath keeping. Daily office and Sabbath keeping. Now, because of time, I can't talk about the daily office. We'll come back to that. I want to talk about Sabbath keeping today and why this is so important for emotional health and for spiritual maturity. Last week, confession, we talked about grieving our loss as well. And last week we talked about how embracing the gift of limits is critical to grieving and loss as well. Did you guys get the sense that that topic hit me like a ton of bricks? Your pastor, me, don't, I don't know how to embrace the gift of limits. I don't. I've struggled with this all my life. We know that God has given us the gift of limits physically, intellectually, spiritually, relationally in every way. I've struggled all my life embracing the gift of limits. Do you know what that's done? I don't know how to rest. 
I don't know how to rest. I don't know how to take breaks. Do you know why I don't know how to rest? Do you know why I don't know how to take breaks? Because I don't embrace the gift of limits. Do you know why I don't know how to give me the gift of limits? Because I think I'm God. I don't know how to embrace the gift of limits because I live in this fantasy world that says that this church will fall apart if I leave. I live in this fantasy world that says that if I'm not a good father, my family will fall apart. I live in this fantasy world that says that if I stop working as hard, the things will fall apart. I live in this fantasy world that says I am indispensable to the people around me. I live in that fantasy world. So I don't know how to rest. Because if I stop, I think things are going to fall apart. How ridiculous is that? Can I ask you something? Anybody like me? See, here's the thing that I need to come to grips with. Either God causes all things to work for the good of those who love him, which means I can relax, or I better get to work. Either God could take all kinds of mess, breakdowns, and all kinds of jacked up things that we do, and actually create beauty and meaning out of it, or man, you better get to work. Either God is who he says he is, or we can't afford to stop. This is personal for me. I don't know how to rest. And by the way, resting is not, well, Peter, don't you have Monday off where you do nothing? As I'm going to talk about, being inactive isn't resting. You could be, listen, you could be exhausted doing nothing, and you can be rested while working hard. Here's some reason why this is so hard. Real quick, some context, and then we'll dig in. Look at our culture. Look at the world that you and I live in. Look at the world that you were for six days and you walked in this morning. What do I mean? Here's some factors that make this really hard. Job insecurity. Job insecurity. We have a generation of millennials who graduate college thinking that there's a job waiting for them. And then reality, there's no job waiting for you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Departments are being wiped out, downsizing, people being laid off, job security, more insecure than ever. Second factor, income disparity. Economic analysts say that the top 1% make 100 to 200 times more than people at the bottom. You know what that means? That means if you're at the top, you need to work that much harder. If you're not working that much harder, guess what? There's a line of people waiting to take your spot. So you best get to work. And then the bottom, folks, there are people in our church who work two, three jobs just to make ends meet. Income disparity has meant that everybody is overworked. Third factor, technology. You could work anywhere, which means now you work what? Everywhere. Work is spilling into every nook and cranny of our lives. Fourth factor, cultural shifts. What do I mean? Real quick. Culture analysts say that we, for most of human history, found our identity, our significance, and worth in what? In families. That's where we got it from. Traditional families. You found a role. A mother, a father. 
You found a role in traditional families, and it's through that traditional role that you were given significance and identity. But what work has done is that we're the first culture in history that says you define yourself by what you want to be and then attaining it. That's how you get worth. That's how you get identity. So you know what happens? There's never been more psychological, sociological, and emotional pressure. Listen, please, 20, 30-somethings. Put on work to be meaningful or lucrative. If you don't find work to be meaningful or lucrative, you go, what am I working for? If we're not being productive, we feel like we don't have value. So we live in a culture where we need more rest than we ever have. But we have less time for rest than we ever have. And emotionally, hello everybody, we have less ability to rest than any culture's ever had. And to cope, we just medicate ourselves. Some of us just shut down emotionally. Truth be told, I'm talking to some people who just shut down emotionally. Others deal with it by nursing a fantasy. God offers something better than a fantasy. He offers us the gift of himself. Three questions we asked this morning, and then you can pray for your pastor. One, what is Sabbath rest? Two, why can't we Sabbath rest? And three, how can we Sabbath rest? First, why? What is Sabbath rest? If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at several passages. By the way, can I just, everybody, can you just look up here for a second? Anybody here sitting this morning going, you know what, Peter, I could have skipped today's sermon because Sabbath rest. <laughs> I, anybody? Okay, good. All right. We're on the same page. All right. No, I was serious. Anybody here just like, I could teach you a thing or two, Peter. I, man, I can preach about Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Okay. So is this important? Do you want to be emotionally healthy and spiritually mature? This is at the heart of it. What is Sabbath rest? We're going to look at several passages. So have your Bibles ready. Exodus chapter 20. This is where God gives the command to rest. It's part of his Ten Commandments. But by looking at it, actually, we're going we're gonna to briefly look at what it isn't before we look at what it is. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, God says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male female servant, nor your animals or any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. What is it not? One, it is not an advice or suggestion. Stop taking it as an advice or suggestion. It's not, you know, it'll be, a, it'll be helpful. It is a what? A command. Secondly, these aren't given to us so that by obeying them that we'd earn God's favor. Let me put this point up there. God's commandments, not just the Ten Commandments, but all the others are not a condition for a relationship with God, but a confirmation of a relationship with God. This is given not as a condition of his love, but a confirmation of his love. 
Remember when it was given. The Ten Commandments are not given to the nation of Israel before they're set free in Egypt as if to say, if you obey this command to rest, then I will deliver you. God delivers them freely by an act of grace. Then on the front of the Mount Sinai, he gives them the command. What do I mean? Listen, obeying and not obeying the Sabbath has nothing to do with what God loves you more or not. Amen? This has nothing to do with how God feels about you. If you're in Christ, your status, your security, how God feels about you is secure. So don't do this as a way of saying, if I do this, it's a checklist so that I could earn God's favor. Third thing about this, what it isn't. It's not for God. That is to say, we think by obeying the Sabbath, somehow God is more pleased with us or allow us to have a good week. God's saying this is for who? It's for who? It's for us. It's for us. The one who designed us, the one who created this whole thing, the one who knows us intimately says to the commandments, this, my child, is the way to life. This is the way to flourish. This right here is how you live in freedom and not in bondage. Do you remember this point last fall or two years ago when we preached the Ten Commandments? Freedom comes as a result of honoring your design. Freedom comes as a result of honoring. The, this, this law is not just arbitrary. The one who created us, the one who designed humanity, says this is how you're supposed to live. Let me say this as clearly as possible. We don't so much break the commandments when this way we disobey them as much as we break ourselves. We don't so much break the commandments when we disobey them as much as we break ourselves. When you move against the law of God, you're not moving against, we're moving against ourselves. When you disobey the commandments, sure, in the short run, we hurt other people. But in the long run, we ultimately hurt ourselves the most. It's not to earn God's favor. It's not for God. That's just for you. What is Sabbath rest? We see a beautiful picture. David is a man who knew what this was like. And we find in Psalm 3 verse 10, Oh Lord, how many are your foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O oh Lord. You bestow glory on me, and you lift up my head to the Lord. I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. <laughs> I lie down. Some of y'all know what it's like to lie down and not be able to sleep. I lie down, he says, and I sleep. And I wake again because the Lord sustains me. And then check out verse 6. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. David is going to sleep knowing that when he wakes up in the morning, he's going to have tens of thousands of arrows pointed at him. And he says, oh. Chicago is a restless place, Yes. 
Chicago is a restless place, yes? There's a frenetic sense about it. There's a hectic pace about it. There's an exhausting nature about it. Some of you, there's a hyper-competitiveness about it. But here's the thing. Not one single one of y'all will sleep this morning and get up tomorrow morning knowing that tens of thousands of arrows will be pointed at you. And yet, you can't sleep. And yet, I can't, again, it's one thing to lie down. It's another thing to go, oh. You know what Sabbath rest is? Sleep experts say that there's this thing called REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. It's not the length of this sleep. It's the what? It's the depth. It's a sense you go to sleep and you, you wake up. It could be four or five hours, but you wake up and be like, I'm refreshed and I'm ready to go. It's a deep REM sleep of the soul. Can I just say something? This, by the way, is how you and I know the validity of our faith. You can say you believe in God. You can say I believe this and that. Can I ask you something? When you're worried, when you're anxious... When you've got all kinds of things on your plate, when things around you are falling apart, does your faith allow you to lie down and sleep? By the way, surprisingly, I got really good sleep last night. <laughs> I went to sleep. I woke up, you know. My wife was next to me, but, you know, I woke up, and I was like, wow, Lord, thank you for that. Oh, I just, I, yeah, my wife snores. Oh, okay. Why, 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 why can't you and I get Sabbath rest? Oh, church family. Oh, church family. Let's go back to creation account, see what God says. Oh, man. Are you tracking with me this morning? Are you tracking? Yes. Genesis 2.1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Verse 3. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. What does it mean that God rested? Does it mean that God stopped working? That God stopped being active? We know that's not true because in John 5, Jesus says, I'm working and my Father is working. To be at rest doesn't mean to be inactive. Put this point up here. I said it earlier. Jot it down. You can be weary even when you're inactive. And you could be at rest even when you're incredibly active. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? This is the way, this is the reason why you and I come back from vacations even more what? Tired. Is there anything worse than coming back from vacations? Needing a vacation from a vacation. And this is also the reason why you could binge watch House of Cards for 12 hours. Yeah, you know who you are. It's all the people looking down right now. You could binge watch Netflix for eight hours and you don't feel rested. You feel gross. 
Can I get an amen? Do I need to convince you that just doing nothing is not restful? No. You could be at rest, being incredibly active in exerting yourself. Or you could be doing nothing and completely be restless. Like some of you this morning. You're sitting here this morning and you're sitting in that pew and your mind is all over the place. Why? What does it mean that God rested? What does it mean that God rested? Church, think. When the Bible says that God rested, it doesn't mean because God was tired. God's God for crying out. God doesn't get tired. What does it mean that is this God rested from all his work? The answer is found in the creation account. God creates. He exerts himself. He's active. And then he walks back and he goes, that's good. Then he creates. He works. And then he steps back and he goes, that's good. And that is repeated over and over again in the creation account. What does it mean that God rested from all his work? It means that God worked. God worked. God worked. He looked at what he had done and he said, I'm utterly satisfied with what I did. There's nothing more to be done. I'm not going to walk away. Why can't you and I rest? Because you and I are never satisfied and never content with what's been done. The reason why you can't walk away, and of course it's not about leaving your office. The reason why mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you and I can't walk away from our work is there's something in here that says, I'm not satisfied. I'm not content. What is that? What is that? Author of Hebrews tells us what that is. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work. Underline the word work. Just as God did from his. Verse 11. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. When he talks about resting from his work, the writer is once again bringing us into the realm of the courtroom. He's bringing us, author of Hebrews, into the legal arena again. And when he talks about the work, he's talking about the works of what the Bible calls the works of the law. What is the works of the law? Throughout the New Testament, the works of the law is this thing that you and I have, is this thing that we have inside of us where through our efforts, we have to earn some sense of validation. Through our effort, we have to meet some standard we have set for ourselves. Through our effort, we have somehow prove ourselves to other people, to ourselves, and to God. That's what the New Testament means when it talks about the works of the law. When the author of Hebrews is saying that is the work that we can't rest from. That's what he's saying. Here's the work up here. It's what you do, what I do. Peter's a pastor. Peter's a dad. Peter's a husband. You're an engineer. You're a nurse. You're a janitor. You're a mom. You're a dad. You're a, that's the work up here. What the author of Hebrews saying, that's not the work that gets you tired, is it? No. It's the work Underneath the work. 
is to work underneath the work. What's underneath the work? I have to prove myself. I have to validate myself. It's because of this, they'll know who I am. I'll show my parents. Oh, I'll, I'll prove to you. Oh, oh, this, this is how I know I'm okay. And that work is never done. That work, underneath your work, is never done. Church, are you hearing me this morning? Say yes. It's that work underneath. Stop talking about your work as if that's getting you tired. It's the work underneath your work. It's the work to say, I am somebody. I'm a good mom. I'm a good husband. I'm a good father. I'm a good teacher. I'm a good janitor. I am somebody. They know I'm somebody. I know I'm somebody. God knows I'm okay. It's that work underneath the work that if you and I don't manage and get a handle on, you will never walk away from your work and rest. You will never be emotionally healthy. And you'll never grow spiritually. That work underneath the work never ends. That's why you and I are so tired. That's why we're so worn out. And that's why the author of Hebrews says that it is only through Jesus can you get you rest. Jesus who says, come to me. All you, say with me, who are weary and have, what is he saying? He's saying every person in here is serving somebody, something. Every person here is living for somebody and something. And Jesus is saying, if you live for their validation, their significance and their worth, you're never going to rest. It's until you hear my validation come say to you, you're okay. It's only when that validation cuts through all the noise, through all the other validations, can you and I say, my work is done. I'm good. I'm going to rest. Church, be rigorously honest. Is Jesus' verdict of you what ultimately matters? When he says, come to me, oh, you who are weary, he's saying, does my verdict of you overwhelm and override every other verdict? Or is that work, oh, I got to prove and I got to do and I got to earn and I got to... Isn't that what the movie Chariots of Fire is about? Isn't that about the Sabbath day? One guy, Harold Abrams, he's a world-class sprinter, 100 meters, world-class sprinter. 
His motivation for running, it describes you and me. When somebody asks him, why do you run? He says, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. I have 10 seconds to justify why I live. Some of you, I teach to justify my existence. I'm a good mom. I justify my existence. I work for justice. That's how I justify my existence. Peter, I'm a good pastor. So I justify my existence. And they have the other guy, Eric Little. Whose gold medal races when? Anna? Did y'all not watch the movie? Go home and get it for crying out loud. Netflix it, okay? It'll actually restore you, not exhaust you watching that movie. Eric Little, his race is on a Sunday too. And he says what? I'm not going to run. Picture this. Harold Abrams, gold medal around his neck. He's weary. Restless. It's not enough. Is that you? Is that me? Is that you? Is that me? Irony is that the first guy gets what he wants, but it's not enough. The second guy, he's at rest. He's at complete rest. And this is when you and I need to be rigorously honest, rigorously honest this morning. Please, please be rigorously honest and ask yourself, whose verdict am I after? Whose affirmation do I cherish? What am I trying to get a sense of meaning, significance, and identity from? Is it from God? Is it from Jesus? Or is it from being a child of God? Why do you work 80 hours? My job requires it. Why do you have that job? I'm working really hard so I can get into that school. Why do you want to get into that school? I'm working really hard so I can pay off the mortgage. Why do you want that house? Ask yourself the questions of being rigorously honest this morning and saying, why do I do what I do? How is this connected to emotional health? Do I have to connect the dots? Okay, I'll connect the dots for all of us this morning. Emotional maturity is what? It's loving well, right? The epitome of loving well. What is the epitome of loving well? It's when you do it for the sake of them and not what you could gain from them. When you serve them for them and not what you could get from them. Do you realize that if you find your significance, identity, and worth from your work, it's never about the work, it's about you. If you find your identity significance from your work, it's never about the people you're helping. It's about me. It's about you. That's the worst part of it all. It keeps us from loving well. It becomes all about us. (laughs) How do we uh, get Sabbath rest? I feel like I'm beating up on you guys this morning. It wouldn't make you feel any better if I told you that I'm beating up on myself right now. Is that, is that okay? All right. How, how do we get Sabbath rest? 
Inner disciplines and outer disciplines. Inner disciplines. What do I mean? Sabbath day. Keeping it is both a day and attitude. If you walk out of here going, all right, man, so uh, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Set aside Saturday, Sunday. And I, if you don't get this first part, that it's as much of a matter of our heart and our attitude as it is actually doing it, you're going to miss the whole point, And you're going to do it for like two weeks and then stop. <laughs> Before we can keep Sabbath day, we need to cultivate Sabbath heart. Before you and I could keep Sabbath day, please listen. You and I, this morning, as we wrestle through this really hard, difficult subject, we need to go, okay, before I keep Sabbath, Sabbath heart. What do I mean? There's two, three points on this. One, Sabbath is an act of liberation. Say this with me. Recognize that Sabbath is an act of liberation. So once more, recognize that Sabbath is an act of liberation. What do I mean? Observing the Sabbath for you and I, especially in our radical culture, is declaring, I'm free. I'm not a slave. I am free. I'm not enslaved to anything. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 15, in the context in which God gives this command, he says, remember to the Israelites that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, he says, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. That God is literally saying to the Israelites, do you remember what it was like when you were out in that 190 degree sun and you just wanted to take one minute of ha? Do you remember how you couldn't do that? Yeah, I remember. Do you remember how even if you wanted to, even if you wanted to, you couldn't just get a, a cold drink? Do you remember what that was like, God is saying to them? He's saying, so if you choose willingly to forego the Sabbath, you are spurning the gift of freedom. You are choosing to say, I'm going to have a taskmaster over me all over again, whipping me and going, how dare you rest? Get to work. To which you and I sit and go, I don't have a taskmaster. Of course you do. Of course I do. It's all self-imposed. Who's your taskmaster? Our culture's expectations. Who's your taskmaster? Some of us, our parents. Who's your taskmaster? For some of us, our deep sense of insecurity. Who's your taskmaster? For some of us, our desperate longing to get identity and worth from that. Who is our taskmaster? Almost all of it is self-imposed. But we are literally saying, I'm going to allow these taskmasters to once again tell me exactly what to do. And we are spurning the gift of freedom. We're spurning the gift of freedom. We're choosing to be enslaved all over again. Church, please, I implore you, don't ask, am I happy? Am I happy? Ask yourself the question, what? Am I what? Am I what? Am I free? Am I free? Don't ask yourself, am I happy? That is the most superficial question ever. Am I free? Paul Galatians 5 once says what? It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So do not, therefore, be bondaged by the yoke of slavery all over again. When you and I rest, you know what we're We are declaring to our culture, I choose to choose freedom. I'm not a slave. I will not find my identity in that. Jesus defines me, not my work. Jesus defines me, not my customers. Jesus defines me, not what my children think. Jesus defines me, not what my ministry says. Jesus defines me, not how many customers I get. Jesus defines me, not what my culture says. I am free. Are you free? 
Secondly, we're also reminded that we also need Sabbath for others. Church, if you don't take the Sabbath seriously, you are dangerous to your community. I'm going to say this again. Please, everybody, look up here. If you do not take Sabbath seriously, you are dangerous to your community of people. Why? For 400 years, the Egyptians were treated like objects, things, hands, feet, things, not as persons with God's image. They were treated like things, not as persons inherent with God's dignity. Why does God say do it for other people? Simple principle. We project unto others what we think about ourselves. You know what that means? If you don't take Sabbath rest seriously, you and I begin to see other people as things and what they can do and not people made in the image of God. You and I look at other people and go, what can they do for me? What can she do for me? What can he do for me? What can they do for me? Rather than looking at them and saying, you are made in the image of God. You are divine. You have dignity within you. And I will treat you as such. Which, again, is the definition of what? Loving well. If you don't find Sabbath rest, you will look to other people to meet that need that you have, which winds up using them and not loving them. We need to do it for other people, to be in community. And the second large principle is recognize the Sabbath is an act of trust. This probably is my favorite biblical principle, you guys. Because in creation account, God's work day is described this way. And there was evening and there was morning, first day. And there was evening and there was morning, the second day. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day, six times. I love this. This is the Hebrew way of understanding what a day was. God's work day. In the Hebrew understanding of a day, God's work day, it begins in the evening Our day begins when? Like I did for me this morning. Our alarm clock ripping through the pre-dawn darkness. And evening ends, not when the sun goes down, but when what? We're up watching Netflix. And we turn off the electric lights. But in Scripture, God's day begins in the evening. Do Do you know why that's... And you could tell I'm giddy about this. Because in Hebrew understanding, when I go to sleep, God goes to what? God goes to what? That means when I quit, nothing essential stops. Let me put it as, as, as plainly as possible. When I go to sleep, God's kingdom doesn't stop advancing. Can I say that again, Tim? This, you can tell why I'm so giddy, right? Because this is, like, this is like treasure for me. This is like honey to my mouth. This is like cold water on a hot day. This is like, and I could continue to say metaphors, but you know what I'm talking about. This to me is the principle that I've struggled with all my life. When I go to sleep, God says, I don't stop healing. I don't stop saving. I don't stop restoring. I don't stop working, Peter. When you go to sleep, my work day begins. When you quit, nothing essential stops. Matter of fact, I don't know about you, but for me, my sleeping is God's way of saying, I need you to get out of my way for a little bit. 
so I can do what I need to do. Can I get an amen? Is that an act of trust? How many of us actually believe that all the things that keep us awake at night, a good, sovereign, loving God says, when you go to sleep, that's what I'm going to get to work. How many of us that are worried, exhausted about all of that and can't go to sleep? God's saying, when you quit, I got you. I got you. God begins his work day. Even when I am asleep, contributing nothing, accomplishing nothing, directing nothing, mastering nothing. He who neither slumbers nor sleeps is accomplishing good things for me. Can I get an amen? Oh, church. So remember this verse. Well, in Sabbath, we imitate God so that we stop trying to be God. In Sabbath, an act of trust, we imitate God so that we stop trying to be God. The worst hallucination that business conjures up is this idea that I'm God. That if I stopped, everything stops. If I failed, everything fails. If I, and God goes, I got this. You know what characterizes? He's in there going, how do I know if I'm trusting Peter? I don't know. Am I trusting and, and taking Sabbath? How do I know? I'll tell you. This kind of sounds maybe a little bit, little bit kind of out of the ordinary. But I'll tell you what characterizes people who get this. They're grateful. They're grateful. Do you know why? Do you know why gratitude characterizes someone who trusts? Because grateful people recognize that all things happen under the sovereign good hands of God. That it's all grace all the time. Can I get an amen? And here's the thing about gratitude. Grateful people actually get better at it. Grateful people who are trusting recognize that the more I see things to be grateful for, the more I see things to be grateful for. That's the amazing thing. Gratitude, deep in our hearts, gives us the eyesight to be able to go, that's God. That's God. That's God. The opposite is the same. People who are ungrateful have difficult time seeing God in anything. And it just snowballs. That's why I'll put it up. Gratitude, ingratitude is an eye disease as much as it is a heart disease. This is how, if you're sitting there going, I don't know, do I trust God keeps Sabbath? Question to ask is not, am I actually 24 hours? Question to ask is, am I grateful? That's why I was so thankful for Josh. I love, don't you love, brothers and sisters, who speak truth into your life? He grabbed me. This is what he was saying. He was saying, <laughs> translation, be grateful, Peter. We get to do this. Be grateful, dude. How do you do this external? I'd be quick about this. And then and I'd keep going. Brother, I don't think they want me to keep going. Do they? For the 10 of you that are like, I can't wait to get the heck out of here. We're a democracy here, okay? They outvoted you. All right. <laughs> I'll be quick. External disciplines. External disciplines. One, one, one. Take more Sabbath time. Somebody says, how do I know? How do I know how much take... Trust me, more than you are now. More than you are now. 
I guarantee you, not one of us in here is taking as much Sabbath time as we need. Amen? More than you are now. More than you are now. That means if you are somebody who's never done this, crying out loud, two hours of Sabbath will seem like an eternity. Start out a few hours on a Saturday. Maybe few hours on a Sunday after worship. Start out half a day on Saturday. Half a day on Sunday. And then eventually work your way up. But take more Sabbath time. Number two. Balance your Sabbath time. Do something contemplative and do something inactive. What do I mean? Contemplative simply means I can't get rest unless I incorporate worship. Can I say that again? I can't. It doesn't matter. Trust me. When your pastor talks about watching mindless TV, you know, that's me. Going on vacation, coming more. That's me. I've been doing this for 20-some years. And I can tell you, I do not get true rest unless I incorporate time in which I think about who God is and what he's done for me. I have to. I have to incorporate worship. It doesn't matter if it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes an hour. I have to, at some point, remind myself the good story of the fact that God is good and he's sovereign. The good story that I am not God and he is, and that's great news. I need to incorporate worship. Okay? Secondly, inactive. What do I mean by inactive? In the Old Testament, not just the people got rest, but the land got rest. In other words, God said, don't let anything happen, just let the land be. In other words, you need to be able to, in this time, not only have parts in which you worship, but also you need to set aside time. <laughs> this is going to sound totally crazy. Where you have planned, structured time to do nothing. And just be. Just be. Why? How else will you pay attention to what's happening inside you? How else will you and I pay attention Unless we let thoughts just come freely, feelings come fr- How else will you and I ever do this incredible principle we've been talking about for the last six weeks of paying attention unless you have structured, planned time to do nothing? Some of you can't go 10 minutes without picking up your phone. And, and this is when we have to be rigorously honest and actually ask ourselves this question. Am I busy because I'm in denial about something? Am I busy because I don't want to feel that? Am I busy because I don't want to think about that? Am I busy? Third, be accountable for your Sabbath time. It's not possible for our culture to avoid seasons in which you need to overwork. Doctors, we have lots of residents. My wife worked 38-hour shifts. There are going to be seasons where you're going to overwork. Starting up a business, you're going to overwork. But the truth is you need accountability for some people to say, when that season is done, you need to rest. When that season is over, you need to rest. You need people around you who will keep you accountable to say, yes, that season, it might be impossible, but you need to rest. Fourth, community. Similar. Only way you're going to be able to do this is if you have a community of people who are maybe in similar situations as you. Constantly speaking truth into you. Asking you hard questions. When you get together in a small group saying, did you do this this week? Small group, let's go around. Did you take Sabbath rest? Did you keep it this week? Why not? What happened? Community of people who are encouraging, challenging you. Fifth, inject more Sabbath time into your work. How? Everybody, this is probably the most difficult. 
In the Old Testament, not only were left, land left to lie fallow, but God also saw something called gleaning, which is, he said, don't, don't glean all the way to the outer edges. It was putting a limit on productivity. It was putting a limit on productivity. You know what that means? 20-somethings, 30-somethings on your career, this is the most hard thing you'll ever hear. You might go, I don't even want to hear that. But what injecting Sabbath time into your life means, you'll never be able to do this unless you have fewer goals. You think that was hard? Living this might also mean falling behind in your career. But the question is, is all of that worth it? Do you want to be a disciple? Lastly, I'm done. Preach the gospel to yourself daily. He and I need to look at work. It's, it's funny. Every time I get to this, people just go, okay, now. He's going to talk. You start relaxing. Um. You need to look at work the way God looked at his work. What do I mean? Genesis, God finishes his work of creation, and he says what? It's finished. It's good. Centuries later, Jesus, oh, some of you are following with Jesus on the cross says what? It's finished. God cries out, it's finished on the day of creation. says, it's good. God also says, it's finished on the day of salvation. And says, it's good. You and I will never rest. If you and I look in a thousand little saviors. Thousand little saviors. And never look to Jesus. Salvation is not about heaven and hell only. Salvation is about you and I going, who, where, what am I looking at for my salvation? And I'm telling you, you and I walked in today, having looked at a thousand little saviors to go, you give me meaning. You're wilding. Becoming a Christian is not saying, I'm going to be like Jesus even if it kills me. Being like Jesus is, God received me because of his works, not my works. Accept me because of your work, not my work. Knowing that the validation and the only validation that ever matters has already been what? Already been what, church? That the only security that we need is the security of God's arms. The only significance that we ever need is to be significant in God's eyes. (sighs) 
Aspect two is A. Sophie and Noah, our two little ones, had a music show at their school. Noah's in kindergarten. Sophie's second grade. And with Jenny and I go, it's an hour and a half long. And I love my daughter, but I was really there to see Noah. <laughs> Both of them, but because we kind of knew what he was doing. And they sang a song called No Strings. I, I wonder, no, something. I, it's, a, it's a musical song. Anyway, so he had, he had this Pinocchio-looking outfit. And all the kids were up on the stage. And <laughs> they're in kindergarten. And they're all, so the curtains closed. And, you know, various acts of curtain closed. And Jane and I sitting there. And so the curtain opens. And it's like 25 kids. And this colorful Pinocchio little with, like, red dots on their circle. And he, the, oh, and throughout the whole, oh, and Jenny and I going. <laughs> We're getting texts from people going, Noah, it's so cute. I mean, he's smacking the center. You know, he's the smallest. So he's smacking the center. of And they started singing. <laughs> I sat there. And if you're a parent, you know this. We're looking, and you try and do this. Noah. Trying to get their eyes like Noah, Noah. So it's like 300 people. In that moment, and sometimes that, that moment when their eyes lock, you know what I'm talking about, parents, you know? Yes? Yeah. So Jenny and I are doing all kinds of things without looking foolish. Like, <laughs> we're looking up, we're looking up. And Noah, Noah is singing, and then it happened. He looked over at singing, and he sees me and Jenny. And he starts smiling and he starts waving. <laughs> and if you're a parent, it just melts your heart, right? You just sit there and go, oh, I started tearing up. I started tearing up. What? Noah's saying, Dad, do you see me? And I said, they're going, I see. You know, I tell you that story. <laughs> Sorry, church. <laughs> so all my life, I feel like, all my life, man, my whole life, doing all this has been, thank God, do you see me? God, do you see me? <laughs> and in that brief moment, that voice and that clarity, when God speaks and he goes, I see you. Peter, I see you. Trying so hard. Trying so hard. God, do you see me? People, do you see me? Trying so hard. And the whole time, the whole time, the whole time, my heavenly father is looking down and saying, I see you. I see you.
CC, come on up. of your heavenly father saying to some of us here this morning I see you I'm so proud of you I love you I am for you I see you son I see you daughter
In a moment, I'm going to pray for our tithes and offering and have the ushers come forward. Church, again, to gift you today, Caitlin might have mentioned this earlier, our fellowship hall is being renovated, which means it's not available. So you are more than welcome to stay here as long as you like. I've asked CC to, as he's done for the last couple of Sundays, just sing and do extended worship. Sit, pray, you could talk, pray for each other. Father, we give our tithes and our offering to you. We bring our honest, authentic selves, exhausted, worn out, tired, anxious, striving, striving, striving. We want to accept your invitation. Your invitation for all who are worn and weary to come and find rest. And for some of us for whom this is a matter of life and death. For whom this is oxygen, much needed oxygen for our soul to be still and to be silent. tells us in Zephaniah 3 may we hear sense and know the Lord our God rejoicing singing delighting in the work of your hands we give our tithes and our offering to you practice gratitude and be disciplined in seeing your hand in all things. In the name of the Father, the Son,